Ave Maria Mutual Funds, seeking the moral high ground for 20 years. Pro-life, pro-family, and Catholic values have guided us to the top. to do the accompanying, we need to reach out, we need to show compassion, we need to show empathy, but then we have to go the next step and take it the rest of the way. Explain to them, for example, that in the best long-term study that we have, adults who transition, that suicide rate goes from 12 times the general population to 19 times the general population. Hello, my friends. You know, one of the most difficult things we deal with today is this whole issue of gender, gender ideology, but it gets real personal when we want to talk about it at our place of work or even sometimes in our families, but then it gets even more complicated when it is a loved one, one of our children who are engaging in some of those, some of our friends and family. How in the world do we deal with it? How do we talk about it in a way that still honors the truth, but, you know, perhaps doesn't kill our family life, or what do we do? It's so confusing. It also involves the teaching of the church, and what exactly is that? Because there's a ton of voices out there that seem to speak for the church that are telling the opposite of what the church teaching is. We need someone to help us suss out what is what? And uh, there is a great lawyer who works for Alliance Defending Freedom, which is one of the premier groups defending life, faith, family, and freedom all over the world. Um, and this lawyer, John Birch, has written a book about gender ideology and what it's about. It's called Loving God's Children. And we're going to speak with him about this issue, the hardest of all issues. He's actually argued 12 cases before the Supreme Court, including Obergefell, which was the homosexual marriage decision. So stay tuned for this episode of The John Henry Weston Show. John Birch, welcome to the program. Thank you. So glad to be here. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, John, if you can tell us first off, I mean, this is not an easy subject to address. In fact, it's one that's caused lots of people to be canceled from their places of work, uh, gets them in trouble with their families and friends. Why write about this? Well, I don't worry about cancellation. I've already argued about the church's definition of marriage to defend that. Um, I helped overturn Roe versus Wade, and I, I regularly speak and litigate on these issues, so no fear there. Uh, but the reason that I, I wanted to write this book, not something I ever aspired to do, not something you go to law school thinking, yeah, I'll write a book on gender ideology someday, but because it became such a pervasive part of our culture. Uh, at Alliance Defending Freedom, where I work, um, over the last five years or so, um, our religious freedom and free speech dockets have changed dramatically, and they now focus almost entirely on the issue of gender ideology. It's everywhere. Um, it started with boys identifying as girls in private spaces like showers and restrooms and locker rooms, dormitories. Um, there was even a, a case up in Alaska involving an abused women's shelter where a man identifying as a woman wanted to sleep in the same room as these women who had been 
victimized and abused. From there, it moved on to athletics. Um, we represent the athletes in Connecticut, the young women who lost 15 state track and field titles to two males who identify as female. We passed the State Women's Sports Act in 22 states. That's being challenged everywhere. Um, from there, it then moved on to preferred pronouns, people being compelled to use pronouns that they thought were a lie in schools, both at the high school and the, the college level, but also in their places of employment, even non-public employers. And now we're to the point where you're seeing kids taken away from parents in California and some other states if they refuse to give in to a child's demand that they be transitioned. Uh, we're seeing um, Catholics who are declining the ability to foster or adopt children unless they agree ahead of time that they'll transition the kids. And we see states that are engaged in curriculum that not only ask kindergartners and first graders um, what their gender identity is and then encourage that, but they hide it from the parents. Um, so it's just unavoidable. And I felt like it was time for someone writing from a Catholic perspective to bring all these pieces together, to talk about the way the church teaches and how we should understand that, to talk about the science and how that aligns completely with the church's teaching of the truth. And then finally, how to interact with the rest of the world and our own family members in ways that show that we alone, not the other side, are the ones who are acting lovingly in this situation. Um, this is kind of like the one-stop soup to nuts package for any Catholic who wants to understand the topic. Wow. Loving God's Children, it's called. It's out by Sophia Press. You know, tell us, because this is, this is really hard. And before we get, because I want you to talk about the church teachings, but that mess you mentioned, it's mind-blowing. One of the things people are going to pick on right away, though, is, is like, well, the pronoun wars. Can we just you know, just given there, maybe that's, that's the least harmful, the least the kind of thing we can do, the easiest. What's your response? We absolutely have to hold that line. And, and, and there are even many Catholics who say, well, it would be the loving thing to do to acknowledge the way that someone identifies themselves, whether that's through a name change or a change in pronouns or honorifics or, or whatever. Um, but the problem is to be truly loving, and we're not talking about the soupy sentimental feelings that you see in movies or books, but loving the way the church defines it in the catechism as willing the best of the other person. Uh, we know that affirming the pronouns leads to a lifetime of hardship. And, and let me give you some stats on that. Um, for most children, what we're talking, you know, adolescents, teenagers who are going through some kind of gender dysphoria. And we're not talking about the kids who, because of social pressure, just en masse all of a sudden declare that they're transgender 10 at a time in a classroom. These are the kids who are suffering from a, a clinical psychology you know, diagnosis that their mind is not aligned with their body. Well, if you leave them to their own devices and you don't encourage them to pursue the gender identity, 80 to 95% of them will naturally align their mind with their body. That's a great stat. But if you start to affirm the pronouns and you allow them to wear the other sex's dress and you allow them to use the opposite sex bathroom and the athletic team, nearly 100% of them will continue with their dysphoria for the rest of their life. And as I'm sure we'll get into, when you pursue the dysphoria by aligning your body with your mind, that leads to total failure, higher suicide rates, worse incidence of, uh, of mental health issues, as well as other health problems and uh, ultimately loss of fertility. Uh, so the, the pronouns is kind of the camel's nose under the tent, and we have to stop it before it gets there. Wow. Okay. So today, I hate to say it, but the church seems totally confused on the issue. In 2015, Pope Francis had a transgender couple in the Vatican. He called them married and happy. 
You can see the photo on the screen in front of you now. It is. It was two women, one of whom is so-called transitioned to become a man, so took drugs for many, many years, therefore has facial hair, um, altered her body to look like a man, destroying her you know, physical look. I mean, it's unbelievably harmful. It appears the Pope has given in on the pronoun wars. So the teaching of the church, what is it nowadays? Well, the church has taught for millennia that we are not souls trapped in a body that can be manipulated however we might feel. Instead, we are embodied souls. And that means that our body says something about who we are, our male or femaleness. It's why we celebrate the fact that at the end of time, at the last judgment, our bodies will actually be reunited with our souls in heaven, and we will continue to be men or women. And although Pope Francis made some of those comments, you know, I, I think that's where he's trying to, to carefully balance this issue between accompanying individuals, welcoming them into the church and loving them. Um, but he has been crystal clear about the church's teachings about gender ideology. He has said in no uncertain terms that it's a tragedy, that it's terrible that we're teaching kids in schools that they can be a gender identity that's different than their sex. He has said in encyclicals and in public statements that if you deny the reality of your body as male or female, that you are rejecting a gift from God and it puts a barrier between you and other people and prevents any kind of meaningful, intimate human relationships. Um, so we, we, we need to be careful that we, we don't fall for the media headlines, which take a picture like that and say, oh, that the church is confused about this and, and look at the actual teaching documents. And, and I have to say that the U.S. bishops have been absolutely terrific on this. Um, I'm sure many of your, your viewers heard about the USCCB's recent statement about Catholic health care and how we're not supposed to be doing gender transition therapies or surgeries in Catholic hospitals. You know, that, that's all well and good. Um, what people may not realize is that over 30 dioceses now have adopted policies, making sure that their schools and their parishes comply with the church's teachings about the truth of the human body. And some of them have gone into great depth about the theology. I quote them at length in the book and in the question and answer session, you know, about this idea of an embodied soul, how in some sense the gender ideology movement is just a re-raising of the Gnosticism a heresy from the second century, which said that our souls and our bodies were different, that they were separate somehow, um, that have, have talked about the, the medical transitions, how those are wrong, how the pronouns, uh, we have to continue to tell the truth, and about the, the importance of loving individuals in the way that we talk, the way that we teach, and the way that we respond to these things by willing the best of the person. And that is only by recognizing the truth of their human sexuality as male or female. Um, so it, it's easy for folks to get confused, to look at the media and, and think the church is confused. Um, but we've got a 2,000-year history, um, cer certainly through Jesus' teaching up to today about the embodied soul, but all the way back to Genesis itself about God intentionally creating us male and female and how we need to accept that, that body as a gift, just as Pope Francis has said. So how do we deal with the church leadership so the document that you were talking about put out by the USCCB, that's the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, that should at Catholic hospitals stop such transitions, uh, came out from that part of the USCCB that, that studies theology. It was a great document, very well done, um, laying out the church's teaching very clearly. At the last U.S. Conference of Bishops, they weren't able to implement it because the document, which was just, as you said, church teaching from forever— was fought by Cardinal Supich, Cardinal McElroy, 
you know, uh, in the sort of flavor of Father James Martin, who are actually very much against the church's perennial teaching on the issue and talking about a more accompanying, welcoming approach that truly does confuse the issue. Um, so how do we deal with that when we know the church is teaching on one hand and you're having this let's fight the teaching or let's like do it differently so that in practice we're able to affirm these individuals in their chosen gender? Well, we need to be vocal about that. I mean, first we need to understand the issue and I hope that people reading the book and some of the resources that I mentioned in there will help prepare them to have those conversations. But, but we need to stand up because it, it all has to do with what it means to authentically love someone. And if you're not speaking in truth, then any attempt that you're making to help someone is going to be the opposite of love. It's going to make things worse for them. And an example that I like to use when I talk to young people about this, you know, the, the whole notion of, of loving someone and objective reality um, is a child that really wants to touch a hot stove. And every parent intuitively understands this, that no matter how badly they want it, no matter how much they think they're going to like it, the parent won't give in because they understand an objective truth that the child does not, that if they touch the hot stove, it will burn them and seriously hurt them. And in the same way, if we welcome, which we absolutely should do, you know, this book is all about accompanying and loving the other. But if we welcome and then we don't speak the truth once they've been welcomed into the church, then we're condemning them to this lifetime of heartache and misery and bad outcomes. And I'm glad you raised Father James Martin because you know, he's very famous about this issue, the marriage issue, and about building bridges. And at one point, um, I had contemplated naming this book Building Better Bridges because the type of bridges that he talks about is to love and to welcome, but then to never extend the truth of the church's teachings on human sexuality, whether that relates to the, the marriage issue or the human body and, and gender ideology. And ultimately, those bridges are going to collapse and fail. And those individuals will be permanently harmed. I mean, not only will they suffer all kinds of heartache in this life because they are not following God's plan to make them the person that God wants them to be, but ultimately, depending on the choices that they engage in with his encouragement, they could lose their eternal salvation. Now, so th those bridges are doomed to fail. If we want to build better bridges, we need to do the accompanying. We need to reach out. We need to show compassion. We need to show empathy. You know, after all, this is a population, again, with the clinical diagnosis that has a suicide rate 12 times the general population. So they need our care and concern as Catholics. But then we have to go the next step and take it the rest of the way. Explain to them, for example, that in the best long-term study that we have, that over a long period of time, which is when you have to measure it, adults who transition, that suicide rate goes from 12 times the general population to 19 times the general population. That incidence of mental health problems increases um, that they have the, the loss of fertility, that they experience heart trouble, that they have bone loss, that they have developmental problems because of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, you know, all the things that people aren't telling them on the front end, you know, and the thing that should haunt, um, you know, Father Martin and any other church official and even lay Catholics who aren't willing to speak the truth on this issue is when that person realizes they made a mistake. And we, we have thousands of detransitioners now in our country, those who initially made the transition to a different gender identity and then realized that was a mistake and came back. We should all be haunted when they ask the question, why didn't anyone tell me the truth? Because I, I can't imagine having to face someone, having not told them the truth ahead of time, only to watch them pursue this course of misery when it could have been prevented on the front end. And, and keep in mind too, that for many of these individuals, uh, you know, one stat, 60% of them um, endured some kind of child sexual abuse that 
led to a gender dysphoria. Um, for others, it's a broken relationship with a mother or a father. For others, it may have been a grandparent who dressed them as the opposite sex because they wanted a granddaughter rather than a grandson. Uh, maybe it was broken friendships early on in their life. You know, if, if we're just putting a Band-Aid on by giving them the drugs and giving them surgery, we're not addressing those underlying mental health issues that need to be resolved if they're going to have any kind of happiness and meaningfulness in this life. Um, so, so again, building a bridge is great, but if you don't tell them the truth, it can be the most devastating, horrible, evil thing that you could do. Hey, my friends, now is the time to stand up and fight. We are just about to have the Synod on Synodality, and everything that you've seen indicates that it's going to be an absolute disaster. We have Father James Martin as a personal appointee of the Pope speaking at it. We've got Cardinal Supic, Cardinal Tobin. These picks of the Pope to engage in this Synod are indicative of where we're going. We're going into heresy. And at these times of great crisis, the church, especially those called in the laity to work for the glory of Christ and his church, are called to gather and strategize. Back in 2014, LifeSite launched something called Rome Life Forum. It was a gathering at that point of some 75 life and family leaders from all around the world to strategize as to what we could do. And when we gathered, the majority of people were most concerned about what? About Pope Francis, about what was going on in Rome. But this was 2014, but the life and family leaders saw it first. Now, a decade on, we are confronted with some of the most severe challenges the church has ever faced. And so our tradition at LifeSite is to continue with Rome Life Forum, which has continued every year until we had to take a break over COVID because we weren't permitted, but we're starting it up again. Please come, if you feel so called, to Rome, October 31st, and November 1st, the very end of the Synod on Synodality, and uh, we'll be there to strategize with His Eminence, with His Excellency, and with many life and family leaders from around the world. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. In your book, Loving God's Children, the Church and Gender Ideology Available Through Sophia Press, actually does a great job in terms of giving people the actual references, the studies themselves. But let's get into it a little bit. The treatments that are used to, they say, help delay for children their onset of puberty so they can decide for themselves. They seem to be indicating this way or that way. What's the reality with regard to those drugs? And then the reality also with regard to Gender transition sounds like such a wonderful thing. You make your body align with your feelings and the way you, you believe who you are. What's the reality on that? Well, the reality is all of those things are lies that the gender transition community and healthcare professionals who get lots of money from these procedures are, are really peddling to people. You know, Planned Parenthood now um, is getting millions of dollars from prescribing puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And these surgeries can cost up to $70,000. You know, so there's a lucrative business on the other side of this. But you know, the reality, let's start with the puberty blockers. Um, puberty blockers are a legitimate medicine 
for kids who are going through something called prepubescent puberty, where for whatever reason, socialization or chemicals in the water are going through puberty earlier than they're supposed to. And they've been approved for that purpose, to delay puberty for a short time until they're at the appropriate age. But the FDA has never studied and never certified puberty blockers for the off-label use of stopping someone from going through puberty because of gender identity issue. And there is no such thing as a pause because you're missing out on that time when you're supposed to be growing, when your bones are gonna be getting bigger, getting denser, your muscular system is developing and all of your sexual organs are developing. And if you stay on those puberty blockers for a sufficient amount of time, then those developments won't ever happen the way that they're supposed to. You, you can develop permanent infertility just from using puberty blockers for an extensive period of time. And then once you get to the cross-sex hormones and, and the surgeries, you know, but what you're doing is you're encouraging someone to do something to their body that will never accomplish what they want. And I'll, I'll explain that in, in two ways. First, physically, even if you go all the way through surgery, every single cell of your body is encoded in its DNA, its chromosomes, male or female. And so you can look however they reconstruct you on the outside, but a doctor will always be able to tell what your body is on the inside. So what you're doing is entirely cosmetic. Uh, the, the second thing is that it's devastatingly um, dangerous to tell someone that they should align their body with their mind rather than the other way around. And we would never do that with any other type of dysphoria. So for example, if you had a child suffering from anorexia, in their mind, they think that they're fat, even though the objective reality of their body is that they're not. Maybe they're even too thin or emaciated. No doctor, no loving parent, uh, no one would encourage that person to eat less or to have a, a surgery, you know, say to you know, make their, their stomach smaller so they eat less, to encourage them to align their body with their mind. Um, it would ultimately kill them. And even before that, it would have devastating effects on their health. We simply don't do that. There, there's another mental health issue. It's, it's called body dysphoria or dysmorphia. And that's where someone, you know, again, this is a real mental health issue. They believe that a part of their body doesn't belong there. So for example, their right arm. And it causes such distress, real distress, that they would do anything to get rid of that arm. But no doctor will remove that arm, not without committing malpractice. And, and, and no person would hand that person the tool to take their arm off because we recognize that removing the arm isn't going to solve the underlying issues that led to the dysphoria. We need to treat the mind and allow it to recognize the reality of the body so that they can be in sync. Now, when, when you get to gender dysphoria, it is the only mental health issue where you have these disconnects between mind and body, where we encourage the person to align the mind with the, the body with the mind rather than the other way around. And it doesn't even make sense the way they talk about it, because on the front end, a gender activist will say that uh, the, the whole notion of male and female is just a stereotype. You know, that sex is assigned at birth because of, of stereotypes, and so it doesn't matter. But their solution to gender dysphoria is to change the body that doesn't matter, to fit with gross stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a woman. You know, and, and what 11-year-old who's been a boy their entire life knows what it means to feel like a woman. You know, it, it's not because they like to play with dolls and that they're emotional and empathetic. And you know, those are stereotypes about what it means to be a woman, but they're not actually being a woman. And, and so you, you put all this together and you can see why the science shows us that these treatments don't work the way they're supposed to. That's why you end up with the higher suicide rates. You end up with the greater incidences of, of mental health issues, as well as all these physical malformities and, and problems. It, it's because they're treating something in the exact opposite way psychologists and doctors have treated dysphorias for all of the existence of American medicine. And the, the countries that really pioneered 
this type of medicine, places like the UK, Finland, Sweden, um, they are all countries now that are pulling back on these recommendations and going in the opposite direction and saying, you know what, the best thing to do is get into counseling and watchfully wait and see what happens with these kids. Mm -hmm. Because the best data that we have shows that it's not helping when we do this. And in many cases is making the problem worse. So here's something interesting though, even though that is the right approach, that approach in Canada at least, and several states in the United States is illegal. Psychologists can get disbarred, psychiatrists can get disbarred from properly aligning people with their body. They, but in other words, for counseling people out of this kind of ideology, this kind of disorder that they're in. And yet, if you wanted to go the other way, it's legal. That's the most bizarre thing to me. So if you're what they call a straight male, but you wanted to explore transgenderism, that's totally fine and good, but yet to come out of it is not. At least in Canada, that's the way it is. And I'd like to hear your take on how that is in some of the states. Yeah, it's criminal what they're doing. Um, there are over 20 states that have passed uh, what I call counseling censorship laws like that. And when you include local jurisdictions, it's more than 100 different places that have these laws. And I actually represent uh, two people right now, one from Colorado, one from Washington State, both counselors, Christian counselors, who want to be able to talk to young people to align their bodies with their minds. And if they do that, then they can lose their professional license. Uh, the, the gentleman from Washington State, Brian Tingley, we actually have a request where we're ask, asking the U.S. Supreme Court to hear his case. And if it's not his, it'll be another one of these because it's outrageous what they're doing. Um, first, speaking from a constitutional sense and then from the medical sense, um, constitutionally, there is one thing that the government cannot do when it comes to speech, and that is pick sides. It cannot say we're going to promote one viewpoint and prevent the other viewpoint from speaking by censoring it. And yet that, that, that's what they're doing with these counseling censorship laws. Like you said, if they want the counselor wants to encourage same-sex relationships or encourage the pursuit of a gender identity different than sex, you're free to do that. In fact, we encourage you to do that. But if they do the opposite, even though they think that's what's best for the, the patient, even if the minor wants that treatment, then they're prohibited from doing that. And, and so that's a First Amendment free speech problem. And I think it may take a while, but ultimately we're gonna, we're gonna win that in the end. Um, but you know, medically speaking, um, it, it really is criminal. Um, we haven't really talked much about the detransitioners other than the, you know, the, the comment about you'd wanna be able to tell them uh, the, the truth so that at the end of the, the road, they don't say, why didn't you tell me? Um, but there are many detransitioners now, those who made the mistake of transitioning to a different gender and then coming back again to present as their, their natal sex. And worldwide medical organizations recognize that they have a huge need for counseling. You know, it, it's rising, it's burgeoning. And yet in those hundred jurisdictions, they can't even get a counselor to talk to them about the issue if they want it. I mean, I, it's just criminal that states and local governments would tell therapists that they can't talk about the very thing that their clients need in order to improve their mental health. Um, and so if, if you've got one of those in your jurisdiction, please speak out about it publicly. If your legislature is considering it, um, please let your legislators know that these are evil bills and that the government should never be in the business of getting into the counselor's room and telling them what they can and cannot say to consenting patients. It's absolutely absurd. Absolutely. So, and, and for all those who might be in family situations, you can get online counseling. Go to catholictherapist.com, check them out there. A lot of the counselors there are able to still give sensible counseling. Um, 
want to talk about this a little bit from a family perspective because that's probably where the rubber meets the road in terms of the difficulty of sharing the truth. So very often now you have situations right in your own family where a sibling or a cousin or God forbid a child and so on are going down this road. How do you speak with them? How do you interact? Do you go, like what are the big questions? Do you go to a same-sex wedding of your daughter? Do you go to the, you know, your transitioned wedding or whatever you want to call it? How do you deal with that? And and how in the world are parents to take this forward? And in addition, because there's a, a question that goes along with that, you in your friendship circles, you basically cancel culture uh, with your with your close friends as well. Give us some insight there, if you would. Yeah, those really are the hardest situations. And, and I'll I'll start by talking to parents who want to inoculate their kids from the gender ideology disease from the get-go. Because what they may not realize is that if they're allowing their kids on social media, um, they're already getting thousands. Um, if not more messages and videos about this issue on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, there are, are literally tens of thousands of hours promoting transgender ideology as a way to fix all of their going through the puberty years and teenage years problems. And if you've ever met a teenager who hasn't suffered anxiety, questions about their identity, depression, um, difficulty making relationships at school, um, then, then you've met someone that I haven't because everybody that I know has, has suffered those issues and, and yet they're spoon feeding them this as the answer to all of their ills if they will just transition. So we, we need to, to stop all that. With our own kids, um, there was no social media allowed until they went to college. They didn't even have smartphones until they could drive and then it was limited to texting and calling mom and dad and using the map function. We need to keep that out. We need to watch the movies and the TVs, TV shows they're watching too. Um, I, I talk about in the book, this is just devastatingly sad, Blue's Clues, a show meant for three, four, five-year-olds that 20 years ago we let our kids watch. And last year, if you were catching a quick nap or doing the laundry while your three-year-old was in front of Blue's Clues, they would have seen a pride parade that included LGBT floats. And one of those was a family of beavers, and the beaver had band-aids on its chest where its breast had been removed. Um, th this is what they're teaching three-year-olds. So first, got to inoculate everybody. Um, second, then you've got to get educated about these issues so that you can talk about God's plan for the human body and why it's better than the world's plan for the human body. To know some of these scientific stats, to know the way that culture and government are, are influencing people so that you, you can talk intelligently. And then thirdly, you need to approach the family member, whether it's a, a son or daughter or whether it's a close friend, an aunt, uncle, whoever, um, with compassion and empathy. Uh, you need to let them know that you're on your on their side, uh, but start to ask questions based on the knowledge that you've learned. So, you know, say, well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, are, are you aware that no scientific study has ever shown that there's such a thing as a boy born in a girl's body or vice versa? I mean, no one can prove that from science. Um, you know, are you aware about these long-term studies about people who transition that suffer these terrible mental health effects, these terrible physical effects and increased suicide rates? Um, are, are you aware of the detransitioners who tell very compelling stories um, on, on TV, on videos and other places, and about the tragedy that they experienced as a result of going through a transition? You know, let, let's think about these other dysphorias that we just talked about, things like anorexia or body dysmorphia. Um, why is it that the doctors and your friends are telling you that you should align your body with your mind when every other situation like this in the mental health field, they deal with by aligning the mind 
to the body. You know, and, and that's the way that we truly love them, by asking questions, getting close to them. You know, I think Pope Francis is right to an extent when he talks about the Catholic Church as a field hospital. And when someone comes in and they're bleeding to death, you don't start by asking them about their cholesterol and their blood sugar. You know, there, there, there's a certain sense where you need to hold that person close to you and, and walk with them compassionately to accompany them. Uh, you know, but once you've got that closeness, then you have to go on and you have to give the truth through these gentle prodding questions, giving them information, showing them bishops' documents, showing them Pope Francis', Francis encyclicals about the importance of embracing our bodies the way God created them. You know, and, and those are the ways that we slowly build the trust and communicate the information that'll help them to get to a better result than what we're giving them through these gender clinics. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. One of the comebacks when people will say something like that is, well, the only thing that's making people more depressed is actually the hatred that the rest of the community shows them because they're gay, because they're trans. Um, and, and that's why the suicides, that's why the depression. What's your response? That's a total lie. Uh, here in the United States, if you come out as transgender, first of all, that's one of the best ways to be celebrated in your high school. Uh, at, at many schools, that makes you a hero because now you're an oppressed minority um, and people are going to embrace that. And one of the detransitioners, well, actually several of them that I, I talk about in the chapter of the book on detransitioning, um, and talk about how once they announced their gender identity online and in other places, everybody wanted to be their friend and like them and wanted to support them in that. Um, so that, that's just not true there. But if you go back to those long-term studies you know, from Sweden or the medical advice we're getting from Finland and the UK, these other places that have tried this, you know, they, they've been engaging the, the gender dysphoria through transition for the better part of three decades now. And so in those countries, there's very little disapprobation for someone expressing a gender identity different than their sex. And even when those studies account for any negativity that they may be experiencing from family members or others, they still show worse outcomes. Uh, mm -hmm. So you cannot pin it on that. I think the facts will show that it's exactly the opposite. Wow. John Birch, absolutely stunning. Your book, Loving God's Children, is available at Sophia Press. Thank you. Thank you for that. And God bless you. Thank you, and God bless the work that you do. Praise God. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.